Let me uh, give you a little quiz, okay? Three questions. Uh, fill it out on your notes, whatever. Uh, just good. Thank you. Uh, before we look at, don't, let them, don't give them too much envy. Yeah, just hold right there. Uh, three questions I'd like to ask you, okay? This is very important. Not sure if you'll get to heaven if you don't know these. Uh, yeah, you will. Uh, number one, uh, first question. Uh, which of the pastors of this church is the head of this church? Uh, we appreciate quiet answers. Fill out your blank. Did I hear, who said none? I mean, that's an insult. Uh, why, why would they say that? Wait, wait, do, wait, how many say Jesus? Well, you're just doing that because you had the lead, but that hurts a little. Uh, but is that true? Uh, okay, let's keep on. Uh, when did the church begin? We're in our 42nd anniversary month. So when did the church begin? The church. When did it begin? Uh, what event would mark the beginning of the church? Acts 2, the church began on that day. The church wasn't in Israel. Israel and the church are not the same. I said Israel and the church are not the same. And God's got a future for Israel. He's not done with them, or he's a liar. He said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a king, and I'm going to give you a throne out of Jerusalem. It hadn't happened yet, but it will. It will. He will reign. So the church began, Acts 2, and the reason we know it began is the baptizing work of the Spirit begins to form the body, and he said in Acts 10 and 11, it happened on the day of Pentecost. He began to immerse Jew and Gentile into the body of Christ. So we're a part of something been around 2,000 years, okay? And Christ is the builder of that. We're not talking about your denomination, this local church. Uh, we can go out of business. Your denomination can give up the faith. It won't affect what Jesus is doing, okay? Uh, third thing, uh, what in the world did Jesus want the church to do? Okay, there's one of them. Make disciples, whatever that is. Okay, that's one. Can you name anything else? Well, you know, that all went together. What? Preach the gospel? Good. Whew, I got a job. Yeah, you do too. Preach the gospel, evangelize, make the disciples. Why do you attend on Sunday? How many of you are saved? Do you want me to evangelize you today like Andre? I'm telling you, bring it on, Andre. If we can have that kind of response, I don't care if the deacons get saved again. Bring it on. That's great. Wonderful. You see, I only know about one or two evangelists in this entire church. Andre's an evangelist. Simple truth, but knew how to pull the net in and all day, we probably have 30 to 40 people that profess faith. Uh, so, why do you show up if you're already saved? 
worship, fellowship, donuts. No, no, no. Uh, fellowship. Um, does anyone, uh, obedience, uh, that God said to me. Uh, does anyone get equipped or do you just yawn? Do you, do you, are you learning anything while coming? Okay, okay. Uh, you, I think you're, you're on the way with Chuck coaching you here. Um, Matthew 16, Christ said to Peter, when he called him the Christ, he said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and I take that to be the confession he made, that Christ is the Son of God, and upon this rock I will, future tense, in the future, it doesn't exist now, I'm under Moses, I'm under the law, but at a future day, I'm going to start building myself a church. And he started that on the day of Pentecost. Now, before he went back to heaven, we know this, two things he said. I want my people to love one another just like I've loved them. John 13, 34. He said that before the Great Commission. Don't go out with the Great Commission and you can't stand the, the saints. I hear a lot of folks I've heard them say through the, oh, I get along with sinners better than uh, the saints. Well, because you act more like a sinner than a saint. You can never love further until you love at home. The light that shines further shines brightest at home. And it starts with loving God's people. The devil never does accuse uh, hell's angels to me. Hell's angels don't bother me, thankfully. Hallelujah, please don't. <laughs> it's a lot of God's little angels that bother me. You can be with the saints. And you don't know if they're saints or ain'ts. And say, how is your behavior going? Okay. We've got to love one another or there's no credibility. If God doesn't enable you to do that loving and it's coming from your heart, uh, then you know you either don't know the Lord, something's blocking that. You've got to keep that uh, artery, believe me, wide open because the devil accuses the people of God. He runs down the work of God. So just know that's a satanic attack always. Uh, then he said in Matthew 28, uh, I've got all authority now that I've gone back to heaven and I'm commanding my church that you take the gospel and disciple all the nations and baptizing them and teaching them all things to obey. So he says, hey, take the gospel, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so let's just look at that and see that's one of the clearest marching orders we have in Scripture. Matthew 28, great commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Going, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. What is a disciple? A follower of Christ. How do you turn somebody that's a pagan into a follower of Christ. You must evangelize them. You must share the gospel. You don't have to be an evangelist, but you got to share the evangel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Okay? 
because we were all pagan when this thing started. Had 120 saved people in the upper room, 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. Then in Acts 4, I believe 5,000 were saved. So you've got about uh, less than 10,000 Christians for the whole world, and the rest of the world is pagan, 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 and doesn't know God. And then Rome gets mad. When Rome burns, Nero said, i got to blame it on the Christians. And he started the Nero persecutions, went all the way to 300 A.D. with Diocletian, killed the Christians, killed the Christians, killed the Christians. Guess what happened? With every martyr, a famous church history statement was born. The blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. You can't kill it off. And what did he tell Peter? Not even the gates of Hades, and that word Hades there is really death. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about death. Death itself will not snuff out my church. You cannot kill... Uh, the communists tried to do it in China, and by the time they brought the bamboo curtain down, they found out there was 50 million Christians where they thought they had extinguished them. You can't kill us off enough to keep the church from growing. Christ will build his church. Amen. It's his church. The gates of Hades cannot prevail. Now, who are we trying to reach around here? Why are we on radio? Uh, it's sure not because of the radio fan club sends us money. The men of this church have put up money. They put it up again. They put it up when we first began. We had a $10,000 gift. Several of our brothers have put up money again because we're not real good at getting names, sending gifts, and getting a donor base. Everybody tells us when we go off the air, we miss you. But we hadn't heard from them lately. You know what I mean. But why are we on radio? I'm on an ego trip. No, no, I might be, but that's not the reason. Uh, we're there because the Word of God will not return empty. And in the Bay Area, people listen to MacArthur. They can hear Swindoll. They can hear Dobson. They can hear all this stuff. But we said, wouldn't it be nice if they had a local church they can go to? Or, or do you have to go all over the country to hear the Bible? Greg Laurie's doing a great job. Dave Jeremiah's doing a great job. But you know what? We're preaching the same Bible right here at Valley. Why don't we tell them? And why don't you come? And many do come as a result of it. So both evangelism and telling a starving audience, you know, come. I had a woman tell me several years back, came Sunday morning, heard the message, and uh, she came up to me afterwards. I'd never met her before. She said, that is the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. I was a little stunned since I don't hear you say that every week. And, and so while I was reeling from the compliment uh, and trying to get my composure and ask why you folks don't say that, uh, I, uh, I, I just thought, uh, it, it just came to me. I said, well, you know what? In a famine, even my cooking is good. There's a famine. There's a famine. Will you pass on the word? On any level. Pulpit, small group study, whatever. Let's go through this outline. Let me tell you where I 
Last Saturday, I did this with our leadership. Ron Hughes says, you need to tell the whole church. Ron, I'm obeying. This is our 42nd anniversary month. I want to tell you what we think we ought to be doing. Now, you got to first answer the what before you could ever answer the how. How are we doing it? I'll tell you some ways. Have we done every, <coughs> everything we ha- can do? No, because you're not on board yet. We like to see God use you. Several things. Churches are built on, one, personalities. Isn't that true? You get a dynamic uh, leader, and people are drawn, and many times if that leader falls, if they die, uh, that ministry just uh, disintegrates because it's built on a strong personality. Uh, Two, churches are built on programs. Uh, They've got a great recovery program. They've got a great uh, grief share program. They've got a great youth program. And all these different programs. uh, And so a lot of times churches, they're known for this. Great music program. Uh, I know that a church in Castro Valley always put on these humongous Christmas plays, neighborhood church, and fabulous music and drama ministry. People from all over the Bay Area went there. Thirdly, churches should exist to fulfill purposes. Why should we be in existence if it's not for God's purpose? Uh, I tell the story uh, that, let me go on these five uh, people we're trying to reach, then I'll tell you that story. Uh, There's five groups that we're trying to reach and that we inevitably reach. Number one, community. The unchurched in our area. Uh, they know us down at City Hall. Uh, when we, uh, National Prayer Day, we invited all the city officials, policemen, uh, fire department, city council, come, let us have lunch with you and have a day of prayer. We care about you. I think of a Howard in our congregation, how God kept him and protected him in a very dangerous job assignment. God watched over it. And uh, we, we want to be a friend to this community. We want to be an asset. I love what Dave Hurtado did with our Timothy guys. Uh, last year, the Timothy project was uh, we went down and cleaned a lot for the city. We didn't get any pay. We, didn't want, we wanted them to know we care what happens in this city. We ought to be a blessing to the city. We ought to be a blessing to all the officials because we want to be salt and light, not another problem for them to fix, right? I can't hear you. Okay. You want all this protection. Do you ever pray for the policeman? Do you pray? All you pray for is lower taxes. I know. Uh, Two... Uh, we have what we call the crowd. A crowd are church shoppers, uh, people who attend. They hear we have good donuts and different things. You know, maybe good youth program, whatever. They just drop in once in a while. Sometimes you say, oh, they're with us. No, they're not. They're just, they're just evaluating. And that's okay. That's wonderful. They're shopping. Uh, or they just fell in here, took a wrong turn on the road, and they're here. They're a crowd. They're out there. That's wonderful. That's fine. We're so glad you're here. Uh, They're just attenders now and then. Thirdly is your congregation. And that are the people that have stepped forward and said, I want to join. I'm willing to be an active part of this fellowship. 
I, I believe God's working here. I'd like to be a part. And all membership is saying, I'm willing to tell you, I'm willing to make a commitment to serve, to give, to pray. I, I want to be uh, more than an attender. I want to be an active participant. And then, fourthly, you have the committed. And the committed are those who say, I want to grow. I, I want to get involved in small group studies. Uh, I'm going to go to WOW Ministry, Timothy. Uh, I want to get in all. I want to grow in Christ. I'm hungry. I've been saved 30 years. I've been saved 30 days. See, what's fun, I love having you young people. See, trying to tell a 30-year-old Christian something new that just blows them away, that gets a little old and boring. Why should I tell you something new? You ought to be telling somebody new. Good night. How long does it take you to know the Bible? How long does it take you until you are given out? Instead of, well, he didn't, he didn't say anything I didn't know today. Well, some of you are going deeper and coming up drier than anyone I've ever seen. I had a guy ask me, I was teaching a theology class at a college, and they asked me, this one young man said, what are you doing to teach the deeper Christian life at Valley? I said, well, we start with deep things like quit sleeping with your girlfriend and quit whipping your wife. His eyes crossed, smoke came out of his ears. He's some nice Anglo boy that couldn't hardly spell sin. I said, welcome to urban ministry. Welcome to people stepping out of the pit of sin in the Bay Area. They haven't heard all these terms all their life. They're not a third-generation Christian. They're not been around this. Oh, I've heard that before. Yeah. Oh, oh, when you get acclimated that we're living among pagans that need to be reached, and when they're reached, they know nothing. Don't send them to me. Send them to you. You ought to be able to disciple them, right? I don't think you said to the pastors in Matthew 28, all you pastors go. He said it to these apostles and to the church, go. Finally, we've got the core. In this church, there's about 200 people that pull off most everything we do. They teach all the small group studies. They do the ushery. They do the junior high, senior high. They do women's ministries, men's ministries. They do uh, ushering. They do sound, lights, music, worship. We've got all, about 200 people in the church that claims over 1,000. So the 2080 rule, we really claim about 12, 1,400 that keep passing through, passing through. But the core in this church is only about 200 people because those outside of it neither give their money hardly nor give their time nor are available for service. And so they just attend. Even those who have taken membership, many of them should be dropped because they're not keeping covenant with us. They said they would do something, but they don't. So uh, what in the world should we be doing? What should we be doing? I'm going to go through these right here. Stay with your notes. Uh, number one, we exist to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians 3, 3, a verse that, for years has escaped my own notice, and I just stumbled on it. 
and it's so powerful. Verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, notice, who worship in the Spirit of God. Our worship is Spirit-directed. Two, and we glory in Christ Jesus. Notice that. And glory, we, we bask in him. We, we're adoring him. We're, we're caught up with this person in the Godhead known as Jesus. We don't just worship God. Uh, God, kind of, who God, what are you talking about? The devil could say God, but he won't ever say worship Jesus. The cults can say worship God. We worship God the Son. God the Father, and we even worship God the Spirit. There's a person in the Godhead that stumbles all other religions. It's the second person of the Godhead, God the Son. We glory in him. A gospel meeting is where Jesus is adored, worshiped, and loved. If there's no Jesus in the meeting, you might be at a Unitarian church. You might be at a synagogue. You might be some other, but we glory in Christ Jesus, the head of the church, our Redeemer. Don't make any mistake about that. That's got to be central. We don't tag him on to make it holy. He's got to be central. And then we put no confidence in the flesh. We're not counting on the preacher, the band, or anything else to do what needs to be done in your heart. We're counting on the Spirit and Christ to do what needs to be done. Because all you've got on this staff are weak people saved by the grace of God. Well, uh, exalting. Two, evangelize the lost. And uh, what do we do in that area? Well, radio is a reach out for that. Our mercy teams, uh, we went out Tuesday night about 14 of us, to follow up all these professions of faith. Sean and his group, they go out on Tuesday nights. Uh, they give cups out for visitors and move into our neighborhoods. We hand out this. We do outreaches. Uh, evangelism in every church is a downward escalator. It, we all know it ought to happen, but nobody wants to do it. It's just a downward escalator. I first hired Steve Fernandez in this church to do Evangelism Explosion. We did that. I went with him and some other men. He had it for a while. Then we handed it off to this one. We handed it off to that one. You know, the easiest thing to bury in this church, don't do anything for outreach. Let's grow old together. We know what each other likes at the potluck. And we've known each other for a long time. So you plant churches, they rise, they plateau, and then they decline. And God starts another church, another cell, because we get up here and we don't want to do God's purposes. God's purposes is my little group that I meet with, and I'm, all, I'm almost like in a club atmosphere. I'm not living to do God's purposes. And so why wouldn't God blow out the lampstand? If you don't want to do what I told you, you don't need to represent me. 
And did you know that God closes as many churches as the devil? Sure. God knows when a church is putting out smoke instead of light. And when it's all smoke, he just, so well, whatever happened to first such and such? Whatever, while they used to be, yeah, they did. They no longer exist for God's purposes. And God no longer exists to bless them. You've got to have God's priorities to have God's provision. And God's priorities are his purpose. Evangelism, we need to always pray. Do you ever try to reach anybody with the gospel? Can you do the ABCs that uh, Andre told us about? Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, confess him as Lord. I think if I couldn't witness, I'd want to shut up about all the rest. Because you've copped out where the church is destined to die because there's no new births happening. We've become bored with the Christ. You know, I always say it's like going with a girl that's so ugly, you don't want anyone to meet her. It's a two-sack date. You need a sack for her, you need a sack for you. That's bad. Can you imagine? I'm engaged. I just don't want my folks to meet her. She's so homely. What, what, hey, I, I heard you getting married. Yeah, don't tell anyone, man. She's homely. This girl's hard on the eyes, hard on the eyes. Oh, you idiot. What are you doing that for? Most of us men, the only thing that salvage does is who we married. We need help. We need help, right, men? Come on, you three non-impact husbands say, yeah, I need help. That's why he created the woman. Genesis 2, Adam, you need help. And all the men said, you ain't kidding, bring her on. You ain't kidding. Yeah, I don't want to bring on some, uh, well, I, I love her with all my heart, but she's too ugly for me to ever tell you who what her name is. I don't want you to know her name, man. <laughs> you don't want to know her name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I received Jesus, but you don't want to know him. You don't want, you don't want to know Jesus. You need to know if the Niners are going to win today. That's what's important. That, that helps get you to heaven. Go to hell. I'm not going to tell you on my watch because I'm going to claim fear. I thought the Holy Spirit overcomes fear. I thought the Holy Spirit took 11 cowards and turned them into witnesses. See, we deny our faith when we will be so quiet about it. We'll fight over the political arena. Oh, that neighbor of yours could care less about Democrats or Republicans. They need Christ. They need Christ. They need Christ. <laughs> Ain't either one of them, either party, going to save me. No party's going to save you. It's going to be Christ and Christ alone that saves. Well, after we see them saved, we want to equip them. What do we want to equip them to do? Drink coffee? Yeah. Equip them for what? Look at Ephesians 4. Just look there at Philippians. Now look at Ephesians 4. Uh, that the equipping ministry. What's this about? Jesus gave gifts to the church when he ascended. This was coming out of the Roman tradition 
that the conquering general, when he went back to Rome, down the Appian Way, he would bring the prisoners chained, and then he would bring all these gifts for the emperor. So he's bringing these slaves, chained, conquered people, and that's where 2 Corinthians 2 said, when they were burning the incense, it smelled like death if you were a slave because you were headed for the arena to be killed by the gladiators. So everything you smell was death. But to those who won and the victors, they'd inhale that same incense and said, it smells wonderful. We won. But when you got to the end of that Appian Way, that general could go before the emperor and start laying at his feet all the gifts from the war, all the booty from the prize. Here it is. Here it is. Ephesians 4 said, when Christ ascended on a high as a result of his death and resurrection, guess what he said he's going to do? I want my church to know I'm victor. I want to give gifts to the church. And my gifts will be gifted men to equip my church. I want to give apostles. I want to give prophets. I want to give evangelists. I want to give pastors. I want to give teachers. And it's going to benefit my people and it will be the exercise of my kingly reign that I conquered death and the grave, and I've given gifts to my people. So these men have been given apostles, 12 of them, prophets, New Testament prophets, evangelists, ahead of pastors. You've got to have the evangelists before you have anyone to pastor. Somebody's got to win people to Christ. Then pastors, some make this pastor teachers, one man doing both. One thing about it, you can be a teacher and not be a pastor. And he lists the teacher by itself in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. But a pastor must teach, but pastoring is distinct from just a straight teacher. But they've got to be some way shepherd while you're teaching. Now, what will be the effect of these gifted men unleashed on the church? What does he want to accomplish? Notice my job as a pastor teacher. I want to follow this right here. Uh, first of all, equip the saints. Well, that's, that's nice. What does that mean? Well, let's say these 30 to 40 people got saved, sure enough, last week. They really get saved. It's amazing how much baggage you bring into the Christian life. How many bad patterns, bad ways of thinking, family system, all of that. And you may come into uh, the family of God broken, a uh, broken home, uh, addicted to drugs, alcohol, all of that. Even when you come out of that, you're trying to pick up the pieces. This word here for equip literally meant to uh, mend or to make functional. And it was used as setting a broken bone. It was a medical term. But it was also used in Matthew 4 of mending nets. The idea is the net no longer functions as it was designed. The broken leg says the leg no longer functions as it was designed. It was made to bear weight. 
but it can't as long as it's broken. And it's amazing how much uh, mending, setting broken bones you have to give to a local congregation as they go through life, through uh, conflict, with children, job, marriage, finance, health, all the different winds of a life, and you're trying to mend people, put them back together, mend the net so it can function. When it's equipped, it does something. It's equipped to minister works of service to the body. It starts contributing in service to the body of Christ. You know why many of you don't function? You're still broken. You've never, you've never been, the bones haven't been, you're still mad at the last church. You're, you're still fussing with your wife. You've never forgiven her. It only happened 10 years ago. I had a woman right in the middle of the aisle. She said, I, I can't let it go. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. And I said, what, what is it? What is it you can't let go? I can't forgive my father. I said, you must. You must. Call him. She said, I can't. He's been dead for years. I said, you're going to remain broken, bitter, dysfunctional, because you won't forgive a man that's already in the grave? And you're still, you're all, you're being buried upside the grave. We're losing you. You got to be mended. And the mended are those that are able to render service in the body. The third thing is they build up the body. The body builds up itself. Not a few men on the platform, not clergy. The body of Christ. He's talking about a plural, the, the body, if you're in the body. Then he says there's six things that show up in the body when they're equipped, when they're functioning. Six things. Ask yourself. Unity of the faith. That means this. You come to a greater knowledge of the faith so that you know what God has revealed about the Word of God and what we ought to believe. We may not agree on everything, but we ought to agree on most because you come to see the unity, the oneness. There's not ten faiths. There's one faith. Have you grown in your knowledge of the Lord? Uh, I notice people that haven't grown, they can always disagree, but they don't know what our unity is based on. And he said in chapter 4, keep the unity of the faith. Well, if you don't know the faith, you couldn't keep it. So he said, maturity, you start growing in the faith. You know what? I'd be afraid to give most of you a Bible quiz. If I said, give me one verse that identifies the deity of Christ, what would you give me? If I asked you, give me one verse that tells you how to be saved. One verse. Uh, tell me uh, one verse that tells you what the Bible's sufficient to do. Give me one verse for why you ought to get a divorce. 
One verse for the basis of your moral behavior. Why should you have moral behavior when we're about to legalize marijuana and we're already legalizing everything else? Our morals today are no morals. So, you got a verse for what you're doing, or are you just a weirdo? Or you say, I'm marching to the orders of Scripture. Well, it goes on. Uh, you come to an experiential knowledge of Christ. Uh, he says that as you grow, you come to this unity of the faith and the experiential knowledge, this word of the Son of God. Uh, has it gotten beyond just right doctrine or right concepts to I've experienced it for myself? The purpose, according to John 17, 3 of eternal life, is that we might experience Jesus Christ. 17.3 of John. So, experiential. Do any of you know him experientially? Or is he always out there? Some concept you're debating. Some concept. You see, I don't know just a bunch of stats about my wife. How tall she is what color her eyes are, what color is her. I sure don't know her weight. She'd kill me. And if I told you, pray for an early demise. <laughs> I know a lot of factual things about her. Does that mean I know her based on that stat sheet? 50 years dating and married to the same woman you think I need a stat sheet? Some of you, God is still just out here. You don't know him for yourself. You may not be saved. My father used to sing a song, God's promises are true. Oh, yes, God's promises are true. I've trusted and tested and tried them, and I know God's promises are true. I've trusted, tested, and tried them. That's how you experientially know. You try them. You try them. The reason some of you never talk about experience is you don't have any. That's where I wouldn't trust a salvation I hadn't experienced. It comes by faith, but it kicks over something in your heart that will unmistakably know I'm now his. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Three, you become like Christ in maturity. Don't try to be like the pastor. Try to be like Christ. Your pastor's got to become like Christ too. Uh, you become established in the truth. You're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I tell you, the unestablished believer is just thrown everywhere. You just got to be established. You learn to maintain the truth in love. And you learn to mutually edify the body of Christ as every member is functioning. That's what the pastors are supposed to be doing. Besides evangelism, we ought to be equipping you to function, to function. Now, we have a ministry. We, we just call this enfolding ministry. What it really is is how do you care, uh, get your arms around 1,000 people. How can we care for you? You come up and see me after the service and say, uh, remember me. And as you leave, I say, what was her name? 
We do it through small group Bible studies. We do it through membership. We love, if we could, to get all of you in a small enough Bible study where they'd miss you if you weren't there. That they know your name. That, that they could pray for you. They could bear what. So we do it through small groups, through membership. Uh, Timothy, wow. Our smaller Bible study. This is celebration. This is vertical. It's probably not the easiest place to get to know everybody. Unless you hang out the donut cart, you'll get to know them <laughs> and, and push them away. Uh, so that, you know, we want to enfold you because we don't want to be just large or whatever. I grew up in small churches all my life. If you ran over 200, you were busting all the records. Anybody grow up in a small church? I grew up in a small church. And so this is the biggest thing I've ever been a part of. And what's hard about it, I could preach to all of you, but the pastor dies in me since I can't know all of you. And that's what I dread. I don't know all of you. And maybe some of you, I don't. Well, uh, who, uh, yeah. Uh, but, but I'd like to know the flock. But ritualists used to always say, it's insane for you to think you're going to keep knowing everybody. And that has happened. He said, you'll do well to keep up with your deacons, elders, and staff. And that right now is about 70 people. That's a mini congregation. Uh, finally, enlistment. We've got a place back here. We've got a union hall in this church. That in a larger church, you'll say there's nothing to do. Uh, every base is covered. Uh, they don't need anything because you don't know the needs. And so... Uh, we had uh, Suzette Zaragoza started. We had uh, Laurie Severa oversaw it for a while. Now Suzette's back. You go back here and uh, you say, God's speaking to my heart. I'm available. I'm new to this assembly. It's a large church. Do you need Sunday school workers? Do you need this? Do you do that? Do you, you know, just don't apply to be a pastor. We'd appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> That's covered for now. Can I get involved? Can I get my hands? Or do I just have to be preached to all the time? And there's nothing I can be entrusted with. No. You go there. Give us a profile. They'll interview you. Want to know if you have become a member. Try to find out where God used you. We want you on the team. We want, you on, we want God to use you like we hope he's using us. All of us. There's something for you to do in the body. And so, if anyone asks you, uh, what's your vision? Uh, what's your, what are you about? 1988, I was at the Real Theater. We, we had thought we were going to get Garrison School. Our church put all kinds of sweat labor in that school. We painted it. We carpeted it. Boy, our people worked. They gave us seven months free rent. We worked so much. Well, we thought, good, our space problem has ended. We were in Holy Ghost Hall for 13 years and all over town, renting buildings. We get there at Garrison School. We're home. Good. About two and a half years later, the school district says, we want the school back. You want the school back? No, no, we finally can grow. We, we've got facilities. We, we busted ourselves to get this place up to, you know, par. No, we want it back. 
The only building in town was the Rio Theater. Anybody remember the Rio? These are the people with frostbitten hands. Because that place froze in the winter, cooked in the summer, they installed a heater, and when the heater went on, you couldn't hear me preach. And so the saints always wanted more heat. And uh, it was a trade-off, because the heater was so loud. Terrible, terrible. I called it the armpit. It was terrible. Others say, how can you say that God was with you? Yes, he was, but it's a terrible place. Man, it was terrible. Malcolm Lee told me one day, I don't mind working in the ghetto. I just hate to go to church in it. And I said, this is the best we can do. We didn't have this property. Uh, our future was bleak. We had money and a building program, but no property, no future, no whatever. So I ran out, run out, gone through different things, run out of any future in me. I, I thought, I've reached all my goals. I've gone as far as I can go. Uh, I'm going to pack it and get out of here. I met with Howie Hendricks and told him what I was going through, and we had a talk. And then I was reading Numbers 13 and 14 about the 12 spies that spied out Canaan. As I read that, the Lord spoke to my heart. I'm going to give you 40 days to figure out why you're still at this church. And if you don't figure it out in 40 days, you must resign. I told the board that. I said, if I have no more reason for being here than just holding on, I said, I'll resign in 40 days. I said, pray with me that God would give us all, why are we here? What are we trying to do? Well, Within that 40 days, I went back to them, and I said, this is God's purpose for his church. He wants us to worship his son. If we all exalt him, I'm, I can die for that. He wants us to evangelize lost teenagers, lost children, lost adults. I'm not a good evangelist, but I can pour my life. That is God's priority. I don't care if I like it or not. That's what he said. If we can equip people, if we can enfold them to care for them the best we can. You know, it's a serious thing when Jesus asks you to take care of his children. It was always hard for us to get babysitters because when you turn your kids over to a babysitter, they better be whole when you come home. And Jesus has turned his church over to babysitters. They're called elders, pastors, and gifted men. And we've got to give an account someday for how we treat the children. And you'll give an account for how you treated us. Hebrews 13, 17. If you don't submit and follow us, he'll deal with you. But if I don't treat you right and try to lead you where he wants, he'll deal with me. It's two ways. Then we want to enlist you in service. I said, men, I'm willing to die for those five E's. And that's why I resigned and been with you another 24 years. Because I'm living on purpose, don't always do. Sometimes when we first started out, we had no one to do the ease. We had no one to, the only E we had was equip, and that was me. And so guess where we are? 
We exist to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ since we see him as the head of the church. We exist to make him known to the unsaved, hell-destined people of this earth. We exist to equip those that he saves. We exist to enfold people in the caring ministry of the body of Christ. And we will do our best to enlist you in service so you can serve until you see Jesus face to face. That is why we exist. That is what, if anyone asks you, what's your vision? That's my vision. That's why I'm here. I'm not looking for any other fancy logo. That's it. That's it for me. That's why I exist. I think it's why Christ gave us the church. Father, I thank you that your purposes for the church are clear. And many churches are so confused. They're in a wilderness. They're trying to be this. They're trying to be that. They're trying to be this or that. And every individual says, I want this, I want that. Jesus, Jesus, get what you want out of this local church. We want to be what the holder of the lampstand wants us to be, knowing that only you furnish the oil, knowing that only you are the one that can keep us burning, and you can also blow us out. Lord Jesus, the church is yours. I don't even own this church. I'm just a member. I'm just a passing mortal that's running towards eternity quicker than I can imagine. What will another generation do as one passes away? Will they want your purposes? Will they live for your purposes? Oh, Father, help us to obey you not to talk about you, not to be a lot of talk. Let us just obey you for the glory and the honor of the risen head of the church. And the church said, Amen. Amen.